Praise be to God. I showed up to school wearing my soccer uniform that my friend and I agreed to wear for twin day to my amazement that he decided to twin up, team up with another guy and wear their football jersey. It's the first and earliest experience I had of betrayal. And the shock and being a kid, I was like, ah, this is just awkward and weird and you jerk. And then years later, I realized how much of a sinful person I was because all I thought about was how to strike people that betrayed me and how to get back at them. And, and if they wronged me, you know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And, and it's interesting when you look at this passage where, where Luke seems to be giving us this endless string of evidence to a young believer. We've been in this series going through Luke where he's, he's writing to Theophilus, a young believer, giving him all of the evidence to believe in Jesus and then he just starts dropping these facts and details about the, the Passover and how God was totally in control and had this upper room already pretty much allocated because this dude was carrying water, which was a woman's job, but it would be easy to notice a guy carrying water because no guys did that. And he would be the owner of the spot for the Passover. And then he's like, hey, Judas, go betray me. And we see over and over just this, this sense of betrayal. And as we look at this theme that Jesus highlights between Judas and Peter, and and both fall victim to to betrayal, this painful reality that we've all faced at some point in our lives, whether a friend broke our trust, a partner cheated on us, a family member took advantage of us, betrayal leaves deep wounds that are so difficult to heal that seem like there's no way for healing to come in where we've been betrayed. And yet as followers of Christ, we're called to love and forgive. And then it comes to betrayal and it's like, ah, accept that, right God? Oh no, in the face of betrayal? And that's how it went down. Like Jesus in all of his sovereignty and and the father planning the way Jesus is gonna go is through betrayal, the deepest and most heartbreak that we can ever experience short of death is, is betrayal. And Jesus himself was betrayed. Not just by enemy, but by close friends. And yet he still chose to demonstrate love and forgiveness. He's not hurried or rushed or anxious. He's totally surrendered to forgive and love those who hurt him. And so as we reflect on the story, we see Jesus' betrayal with a kiss from Judas. And then the denial three times from Peter. So it wasn't just a flippant like, oh man, I was stressed out, confused, distraught, scared. No, it was a concerted effort to deny me. So as we see Jesus' example of how he loved and forgave, that we might love and forgive those who sin, who betray us. So we see the flow of this really shows us that there's a temporary fulfillment in in the timing of Jesus's death. Verses seven through 13, and then we see 14 through 18 show us the end times fulfillment. And then 17 through 22 show us that Christ fulfilled all of scripture here. As Isaiah 53 says, he was numbered with the transgressors. But as we look at this, I I wanna pull out from this narrative the, the reality of, of Satan being at work, as we see in verse three. Proverbs, the author in chapter 19, verse 23 says, the fear of the Lord leads to life. 
that trust in God leads to life. Our, our mission statement pulled from John 17 where Jesus is praying, says to know God is to have eternal life. To know God is to find life. To find God is to find life. And so many ways we could say it. And then the end of the verse says, one will sleep at night without danger. And that's for the believer. We have this peace. Jesus has this peace in the midst of betrayal and hurt and pain. And we see Judas allows Satan to enter him in verse three. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Those that betrayed you, it's not their humanistic intent. They're sinners, they're flawed, but they gave an open door invitation to Satan and Satan enters Judas. So many times has he influenced or oppressed us. We see in Genesis 3.1 that Satan appeared first as the most cunning of all animals. He came to steal, kill, and destroy, John 10.10. Is it a mistake that our society has chosen to ignore or belittle or make him into a cartoon, almost to dismiss him as a fantasy? But no, he is a true and worthy foe and our enemy that actually has more power than, than we do. And it's crazy to see so many, so many pastors and believers fearful of Satan, but in a sense, there is that true respect that needs to be given because we can't go at him. We need to pray in Jesus' name and let God send his angels, and it's only under Jesus' name that the demons shudder. It's no pastor, it's no apostle, and it's amazing to see how Jesus and the Holy Spirit wanted Luke to write this to help us identify the battle. And the true enemy is, is Satan. And as we see in scripture, we need to be aware of the adversary. Resist him, as James says in chapter 4, 7, and he will flee. In Jesus' name, I resist you, Satan, and he will flee. When you feel that evil presence that's continuing to grow, we see it was no shock to the early church. They had constant awareness and writings, not just from these last hours of Jesus' life, but to say, look, 1 John 4, 4, the world, there's antichrist spirits all around. They're in the church telling you lies, twisting scripture, not reading from scripture. They're closing the book, telling you fun, fancy, warm little fuzzy stories and then sending you on your way. No, we're getting into it because it's only Jesus. Wives, don't look to your husbands, don't look to your pastor, look to Jesus. That's where we're gonna end up here. And John is saying, guys, stop. It's crazy. The church is a mess. The world's even more messed up. Because the spirit of the Antichrist, Satan, has gotten everywhere. But don't worry, because greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. So when we're together, and we open God's word, and, and we're believers, and we all agree, this is what God's word says, and it's true, then we can have that confidence and resist with that power that Jesus' name has authority. So don't give a stronghold, in Ephesians 4 says, to the enemy. We see the, the pain of the betrayal exploiting the greatest virtue, the virtue of loyalty, of trust, of friendship, that betrayal exploits that greatest virtue. The time when you're with a spouse or a friend and you can just, like, you don't have to be talking and think about things and keep the conversation going. You can just rest. And that's where Jesus sets up the most just intimate and gospel Passover. Here's the fulfillment of all things from Exodus, the Passover lamb. I'm the Passover lamb. This is gonna be amazing. They're hanging out, they're sitting down. And as Jesus is showing them, this is what it's all been about and it's about to go down and I'm gonna do the work to save you. My body given for you, the blood of the new covenant to save you. 
And then he looks over and Judas is right there, sitting next to him at the honored seat at the table. And at the end he says, but behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me at the table. This is the scene where betrayal, being that painful experience that leaves us feeling hurt, angry, confused, it often comes from those who we trust the most. Exactly what we see from Judas, one of Jesus' own disciples betraying him. Luke doesn't bother, but it was 30 pieces of silver. And then we see Peter denying Jesus three times, even though he had vowed to go to death or prison with Jesus. Betrayal exploits the greatest virtues, that trust and loyalty. In Judas's case, it was a loyalty to Jesus, his mission, financing it, being the financier, the, the CFO. In Peter's case, it was his courage and determination to be with Jesus, to never, never abandon him. But Judas, after he realized what he's done, takes the money back, tries to undo it, throws it on the ground, and then goes and hangs himself because of his grief and regret. Peter suffered by denying Christ three times. We see that betrayal doesn't just exclusively belong to Satan and Judas. We may experience or commit betrayal as Christians. All of our sins are true betrayals against Jesus and against those that he created. Judas went on to destruction, but as Jesus informs Simon of his coming betrayal, we see down in verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to you to have you. Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but don't worry, I've prayed for you. I mean, how comforting is that? Jesus is like, yeah, dude, Satan put in this email. It's in my inbox forever, but I finally got to it. He wants to just have a meeting. He wants to have you and sift you, but don't worry, I'm praying for you. It's like, uh, Jesus, could you do a little more than that? Because Satan's a big deal. Like, I don't appreciate the prayers. But it's Jesus' prayers. So we know, we have confidence they're going to work. Jesus says, I'm praying for you. And then Jesus said this, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, meaning your faith is going to fail, strengthen your brothers. Go serve them. You don't need to go to the priests. Jesus didn't say go to the priests. He said when your faith has turned again, then strengthen, he said, strengthen your brothers, go serve them, go serve one another. The Lamb of God prays and intercedes for us in our conflict with Satan and temptations to sin. Even when we seem unable to pray, there remains one who's praying for us. It's amazing. And Paul tells us this, that when we can't pray, the, the Spirit is actually interceding for us as well and praying for us. How comforting is that? Jesus is interceding as the priest who knows how weak our body is, who knows how strong and tempting Satan is, and yet was without sin, and yet always defeated Satan with God's word. So during our worst failures in sin and temptation, Christ is already praying for us. He sees us, and he's pleading for us. His blood always intercedes for us. 1 John 2, 1, we have that advocate. So as with Peter and, and Job, the invisible warfare w rages all around us. And it's interesting that when we dismiss it, it's very different than when we look at, look at a lion. I was on a mountain bike ride the other day and I, I was by myself and I was like, you know, there could be a mountain lion right here. 
And I've always decided if a mountain lion comes, I'm just sacrificing my arm, throwing it down its throat. This like manly man told me this. And then I'm just going to poke its eyes out and just go for it. Because all, that's all I got, you know. And so in my mind, I'm like, that'd be so rad and like so cool to do that. But then when I look at like lions or mountain lions, I'm like, dude, I'm done. Like, who am I kidding? This thing's prowling around, stalking me, and it's going right for my neck, like right away. God made this amazing beast for this picture, knowing we would sin, knowing that's our adversary. And we think we're like cool and tough, and it's like, yeah, I'm totally with Peter. I'm gonna go to prison or die with you, Jesus. I'll kill the lion. It's like, no, Peter, you're gonna deny me before the rooster crows. Like, you're done. You're so weak. Will you just humble yourself before me? Let my love, let my spirit give you the strength to obey. Stop trying to do it on your own, Peter. Because Satan prowls around looking for believers to devour. When you leave these doors, Satan's waiting for you. Demons are already whispering nothings in your ear about, oh yeah, you're a failure. You blew it. Remember that thing 10 years ago when you were betrayed? Yeah, you should figure out how to strike them down. Not, no, you don't serve them. Looking for ways to steal and kill and destroy, John 10, 10. When Jesus was betrayed, he became our perfect priest for us. He suffers what we have suffered so we can identify with him. You know how comforting it is when someone's gone through what you've gone through and they've come out on the other side and they can encourage you? That's Jesus for all of us. For a season, maybe you've backslid or or walked away from God. We see encouragement here as he looks at Peter and says, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. When you've turned back to me, strengthen your brothers. Meaning in the telling Peter, you're gonna blow it, it's not the end for you. You're not dead. I'm not done using you. Still, focus on me. I know you just said you're my ride or die guy, but don't worry. Once you blow it, I'll redeem you, I'll restore you. It's gonna be okay. So if you've backslidden or you've walked away or you've been like, I don't know if I can do this. There's enough sin in my life that I don't think you want me or at least you definitely don't want to use me. God is saying, no, I actually do want you. I've given everything to show you my love and I will forgive you. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. You're holding on to bitterness. You're holding on to revenge or you're trying to strike back at people and I'm trying to give you something better. But you have to let that go to receive my love and forgiveness so that you might serve one another. So that's the question. As we see Jesus say, look, you're holding on to bitterness and striking back. Let that go so I can give you something better. See what the, lo- the lamb of God is like. See the love of God in Christ. Do we seek to serve or strike those who betray us? Jesus is saying, look, I've come to give you my body and to give you my blood and to serve you. And yet you guys are going to be so wrapped up in this plan that the father already planned and I've come to do it and the spirit's going to seal you, but you're going to try and strike back at people. And Jesus, whenever we get into prophecy, Jesus is like most of us when we hear prophecy. Some of us, maybe you're going to take offense at this, but Jesus starts getting into the the end times, the prophetic. And he's like, dude, my church is going to blow up and you're going to go everywhere. So last time I sent you on a missions trip, it was like to Santa Maria and it was quick enough, a day trip a little bit of a drive, not bad. You didn't need to bring swords against mountain lions. You didn't need to bring a bunch of food because there's a Chick-fil-A down there. Like you could just, you know, it's okay. 
But this time, you're going to need swords, you're going to need some food, you're going to need to figure out how to get like down to Mexico, avoid the cartels, get over to Africa, some stuff could go down, there's actual real lines there. Like He's like big picture, global, but they didn't get it, right? Because they think we're taking over Rome, and which palace pool do I get? Is it the one in Masada? Is it that pool? Like They're so selfish that we see in verse 37, he says, for I tell you, scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors for what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And Jesus says to them, it's enough. Jesus is basically like, stop it. Oh, what have I done? I went too far with the end time stuff. They went crazy, right? They're like, oh, swords, yes. When are we taking Rome? Do I get to kill Caesar? And Peter's like, I already called Caesar. I called it, shotgun, shotgun Caesar. And then Jesus is like, oh my goodness. And all the moms in here know that's dad's job, right? Like we somehow, if you're like me, figure out a way to say the wrong thing at the wrong time and just rile up the kids. And it's like, we're calming down, going to bed. And I'm like, hey kids, swords, yeah. And they just get noodles or pillows. And it's like, oh great, it's 9.50. We're supposed to be in bed three hours ago. Sorry, dad's fault. Jesus is like, oh, okay, I get it. Like wrong thing to say. I'm trying to get them focused on me. I'm gonna go pray, it's getting late. I have to go die for the world. And you guys think we need to get swords. And so they go and pray in the Mount of Olives and that's where he says, hey, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Pray, we need to pray. The first thing we need to do is pray and get others around us praying. Hey, I'm weak, all I wanna do is strike back. I don't wanna serve, I've been betrayed. Should we seek to serve or strike those who betray us? Jesus' response was to love and forgive. John 21, we'll see in a minute, he asked Peter, hey, do you love me three times? And Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, then Peter, tend to my sheep. You've turned back, now strengthen those, now serve those around you. Love is proven by long suffering. And he's trying to prepare them because betrayal that's exploiting our greatest virtue, the question is, do we seek to serve or strike those? Who betray us. So as he goes to pray and he withdraws about a stone's throw away, he kneels down, he's praying, he says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. His human will, he's feeling the tension. He's about to be betrayed. All he wants to do is punch Judas in the face. He had him right next to him. He could have sucker punched him or elbowed him a bunch. You jerk, you're gonna betray me. He's like, hey, go do what you're gonna do. Satan's entered you, you're gonna betray me. Take this cup from me. This is going to be horrible. And then the divine side of God, the the God side, the God man, fully man, doesn't want it fully. God wants the will of God and says, the father, you planned it, not my will, but yours be done. And he comes back after an angel strengthens him. He's sweating. Blood vessels are bursting because of stress. He comes back to find his disciples passed out because it says they were sleeping because of sorrow. The interesting thing, when he was with them in the upper room at Passover, he talked to him about the kingdom. He talked to him about the seat, and as he was seated there, saying, hey, the, the greatest, the way it's done here is you guys, the greatest one gets the greatest seat, and, and everyone serves them, and they have the power to demand to be served. And he said, that's not how it's going to work in the kingdom. The kingdom of God The greatest is actually the greatest servant. So I've come to serve you. I've come to give my life 
as a ransom for many. Don't strike back at people. Don't demand them to serve you. And so Jesus is showing us, look, here's how I'm gonna serve and here's how you fight the spiritual battle. You pray. It's not that way with you. Because he says in verse 28, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials and I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom. They were thinking kingdom, we gotta get these two swords and Frank's got some ARs, he's got a cousin with ARs in the sea container and Bob's got all the ammo, we'll go raid Rome tonight. And Jesus is like, let's go pray. You guys are totally missing how this thing's going down. I tried to tell you, it's not about who's greater and who has the more firepower or the bigger sword. It's about who's on their knees the longest. It's about who's seeking God's will and proving our love through long suffering. It's interesting when we see this, it's like, oh my goodness, this whole story plays out showing us that we win as the church of Christ by losing and we do our battle on our knees through prayer. And so Jesus comes back and is like, guys, you missed it. Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Because he told Peter in verse 33, Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and death. In verse 34, Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you've denied me three times that you know me. He knows Peter's the one we get to see how it plays out. We don't know how the other 11 disciples that, that, that scattered largely, except John stayed with Jesus' mom till the cross. What did they do? Where did they go? We don't know, but we know Jesus said, Peter, it's not gonna go as you hoped. Actually, it's gonna go worse you need to be in prayer because Satan's coming to sift you. He's coming after you all. And so when they walked in, Judas comes up to betray him with a kiss. And Jesus says, whoa, whoa, whoa hold up. You're going to use a kiss? The, the form of loyalty and trust and a friendship, that's how you're going to betray me? In verse 48, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And then again, totally forgetting that Jesus said, hey, if you want to be great, you need to serve, be the servant of all, not have all serve you. They jump at the opportunity in verse 49, when those who were around him saw what was happening because the, the dark and, and faint light, and they see this crowd coming with torches and clubs and swords and knives, and all of a sudden they kind of surround him, and the disciples are like, now, Lord, is now the time? We, this is not how I thought, but is now it? And Peter's like, I got one of the two swords, and strikes back and slices off one of the dude's ears. It was actually the chief priest. It was the priest's servant. His ear gets cut off, and Jesus is like, stop again with the swords. Enough. This is not how it's going to go. He grabs the ear and heals it, which at that point, if I was one of the arrests, it's like, I think I'm on the wrong side here. Like, shoot, like this isn't... Uh, I, I thought you said he was a murderer. Like, he just healed the guy's ear. Like, what? How's this going to work? And before we, we move on to the application, we see that Jesus showed the love that's proven through long suffering, the prayer. That prayer protects us from temptation, verse 40 and 46. He was ready to surrender. He was ready to endure this trial because he was prayed up. And he was saying, you guys need to be prayed up. It's going to protect you from temptation to not grab the knife and slice a guy's ear off. That's not how it's going to go according to my will. That's your will. Peter wasn't praying that prayer that Jesus was. Prayer is submission, not my will, but yours be done. It's the second point. And lastly, prayer's always answered. Always answered. I just didn't know for so many years that the answer was no. I was like, God, are you listening? He's like, yes, and I'm answering you. I'm just telling you no. It's like, oh, I didn't know that was an answer. 
Because all scripture we hear like, and he prayed and God did this. He prayed and this happened. It's like, I didn't know that, oh yeah, it makes sense. Jesus prayed and he didn't get his, his will. He got God's will because he chose to come and be like us, one of us, still fully God and fully man. The mystery is there, but he showed us what it's looked like to submit. He showed us what it's looked like to get rejected by God, to have our prayers say no. He still was engaging God, but that was good for us. The Lord rejects the wicked, but he will receive the weak. We see here, Matthew 12 says, those who reject the Lord, those who don't believe in Jesus and trust that Jesus is our priest, Jesus gives us access to the Father. There's no salvation for them. And while that's hard for us because we want everyone to be saved, it, it does say in Ezekiel, your soul, as we were saying, our soul it is well with my soul. The soul that rejects Jesus, there is no hope for them. And Matthew 12 says that whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. When you believe in Jesus or you deny Jesus, there's still the Holy Spirit's job to convict you and to help you see, oh, Jesus is the only way to the Father. I can be forgiven of that wrong thinking. But if you always deny Jesus and you always deny the Holy Spirit's prompting and urging and drawing you to see the truth, there's no other way you can be saved. There's no second chance after death. So do we love Jesus? Are we willing to demonstrate that love through sacrificial and faithful serving one another, even when we're faced with betrayal. Let us follow the example of Peter and seek and serve and not strike those who betray us. Post-resurrection Peter. Pre-resurrection Peter, he was all over the place. And it's a place we can find great comfort because we see in verse 59, after an interval of about an hour, another... and insisted saying certainly this man also was with him for he too is a Galilean but Peter said man I don't know what you're talking about and immediately while he was still speaking the rooster crowed as Peter denied Christ the third time he's like I don't know it's like oh what it's not even daybreak yet man wish I grew up with roosters I would at least know no the rooster crows as he's denying Christ the third time and the most amazing thing, which I can't, the detail here in verse 61, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Imagine Peter telling Luke, Dude, I'll never forget the way Jesus looked at me. Luke's like, Dad, you are one pathetic loser. I'm writing this thing down. Man, you blew it three times and the Lord looked at you. You must have felt like a horrible, man, you must have felt terrible. I'm making sure the whole world knows how much of a loser you are, Peter. Luke's writing this down for Theophilus going, hey, when you've blown it, when you feel like God couldn't even look at you, Jesus looked at Peter. As he was blood, bludgeoned, beaten, whipped, humiliated, Jesus looks at Peter and sees him deny, denying him, as Jesus said. And Peter remembers that the Lord told him that. And so we see the question, do you love Jesus? Are you obeying him? Jesus meets up with them for fish tacos before he ascends during his 40 days after the resurrection. And he asks Peter those three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And the word love wasn't do you love hot dogs and do you love Jesus? It was the, this reminder of the agape, the Greek 
word for love, agape, sacrificial and faithful love. It's an act of a will. Do you love me faithfully like you said you did, but now you have the spirit living in you and it's gonna come upon you. That's the love I'm asking you to, to love me with, the faithful love and the phileo, the brotherly love, the, the love that was exploited through betrayal between Judas and you. That's the love I'm asking for. In verse 17, he says, to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Of John twenty-one seventeen, And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So we see Peter, post-resurrection Jesus, Peter is received and restored as someone who will seek to serve. Like Jesus said, the greatest in his kingdom will be the one who serves the greatest. Peter is seeking to serve, not strike those who betray. Interestingly, Judas runs to the priest, throws the money on the ground, and goes away in guilt and hangs himself in his sin. Peter's the one who goes to Jesus, sees Jesus, and, and is in that place weeping bitterly. It says at the end of verse 62 that Peter goes out and weeps bitterly over his sin. Those of us here who've been in sin or maybe backslid and we're weeping bitterly over our sin, that's the indicator that, that we're saved. That's the indicator that the Holy Spirit's convicting us of sin. Because we're not going to another human saying, hey, I did this and I don't feel any relief. You're going to Jesus and realizing, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against my wife or my husband or my kids. I've sinned against other humans, but ultimately I've sinned against you and I'm weeping bitterly over it. Because your coworkers, your neighbors, your family who doesn't yet know Jesus, they don't weep over their sin. They're bummed out that maybe there's negative consequences to sin, but they're not weeping over it going, man, I'm a horrible sinner. I can't believe God loves me and he has this plan for me, but I blew it. And ah, when we weep over our sin, that's the greatest indicator for those that are questioning, am I really saved? Did Jesus really change me? Yes, because you don't want to have anything to do with sin but yet you're in this fight with it and you have to trust God to release you from it. You want more of his love and forgiveness for yourself that you can love and forgive others. It's crazy when you think about how devastating betrayal is. I knew a woman who'd been betrayed by her closest friend and the friend shared these rumors and gossiped and they just spread like a wildfire and and this great chasm destroyed their relationship. And for years, they never spoke But the woman who was betrayed kept seeking Jesus and realized the example of his love and forgiveness just got hold of her heart one day and she realized, you know, I I need to be able to love and forgive her who betrayed me like Jesus loves and forgives me. And to her surprise, her friend responded positively and they were able to rebuild their friendship. And it's a great story, but it's not always the case. There's forgiveness without reconciliation, which is often the case. There's, I'm full of God's love and I forgive them and we have to move on. There's no reconciliation because sin and humans, sometimes there's just not, ideally that's how it works, but it doesn't always work that way. That's why it's amazing that we see Judas because he didn't really repent. He was like, shoot, I blew it. I was disillusioned. I was mad at Jesus because he wasn't taking over Rome fast enough. So I sold him out for, silt. what? just threw it on the ground. I don't even need that anymore. And the Jews, the, the priest was like, I don't need this either. We're killing Jesus. We're, we're done. And he went away in, in guilt and shame. 
and Peter goes away weeping bitterly over his sin and Jesus meets up with him and says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Then go, I've told you, go strengthen, go encourage, go and serve. As we remember that forgiveness is a process and it takes time for those wounds of betrayal to heal and we, we join in our life groups or Bible study and other believers that we might be encouraged. And as we see Ephesians 4, as we close, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ in God, just as in Christ God forgave you. So what does this mean for us today? It means that for those of us who've yet to trust in Jesus, that we've received in Christ, God has forgiven you. When he died on the cross and was buried, the best news is he walked out three days later to give us new life and new hope because sin has taken a lot from us. As we celebrate Mother's Day, it's an amazing day to thank God for using moms and grandmas in our lives through prayer and influence, but there's also the reality that there's women who've lost kids, young kids. There's also women who've had miscarriages, and there's women who want to be moms and aren't moms yet. And so this is a day where we weep with them and, and mourn with them and know that God's here to comfort them because he's alive. If we didn't have a God that walked out of the grave, Jesus says, look, I've come to redeem and restore, and, and I'm asking the body, my family, to carry each other's burdens and comfort one another. And that's the gospel that we're saying, look, when we were selfish and striking back at people who hurt us, we can't have open hands to love and pray for those who are hurting because we're so self-centered and self-focused. But when we're here to serve one another, especially on a day like today, we look around and we go, man, they're hurting because they lost a mom or they're hurting because they lost a child or they're hurting because they want to be a mom. And, And for whatever reason, sin has betrayed them and taken that. And so we have to, as believers, come to Jesus first and say, I've given bitterness up. I've given revenge up. I'm done striking. I'm here to serve. And for those of us who've yet to believe, today's the day to drop the bitterness at the cross, to drop the revenge, to stop trying to find one of the two swords and, okay, I'm going to take over and I'm going to get what's mine. No, Jesus came to give you what was his, eternal life, a relationship with God forever. And he says, this is the better way. This is the better gift. Come to me and I will give you life. As Peter found out, there's as much shame to be associated with Christ, to know God, to find God is to find life. And that's what we're inviting you to, to believe and be saved today if you've yet to believe. For the believer... As I close in prayer, I'm gonna give you time to go to the Father, to go to Jesus and pray and be thankful that he forgave you, but maybe there's areas in your life where there is bitterness. There's been betrayal, and so it's time to let that bitterness go and let that hurt go and, and let his love and forgiveness overwhelm you that you might love and forgive those who've betrayed you. Let's pray together. We pray, Lord, knowing there's much hurt, there's much pain, there's, there's many stories that are representing betrayal, that that have had a chapter that's being written as someone's betrayed them in their heart. They don't know how to forgive. They don't know what it looks like. Lord, we pray as we look again at you and your example and how you loved and forgave those who betrayed you, that your love would, would fill us up now, that we might betray, we might love and forgive those who've betrayed us. 
And as we know that we're the betrayer too, who's betrayed you, our God who made us. We're grateful that you've loved and forgiven us, that we might love and forgive those. We pray for those who are identifying as the betrayer of you, God, today, saying, I've sinned and I need you to forgive me. I'm sorry. I believe now that, that I'm a sinner and Jesus, you're my savior. That Jesus, you died on the cross and rose again from the grave to give me a new life that my soul would have peace and it would be well with my soul no matter what happens, no matter who betrays me. I'll be full of your love and free to serve those and forgive those who sin against me. In Jesus' name, amen.